I'd like to welcome you to the ninth of our series of innovation podcasts. These talks are intended to put the spotlight on some amazing work being done by innovative UK firms. I'm Robert Baldock, the MD of Cluster, the Innovation Brokers. We help large companies with complex business challenges and or huge opportunities. We introduce them to our ecosystem of innovative firms that we know well and totally trust. These firms are uniquely qualified to solve problems, exploit opportunities and deliver the right solutions fast. The topic for today's podcast is digital twins. To help us all understand the state of this art, may I introduce you to Richard Arfelt, who is the CEO and founder of Monolith AI, a leading player in this field. Richard, welcome. Very nice to be here, Robert. So Richard, please tell us something about yourself and Monolith. Cool, where to begin? Um, so I started like many people who work in the fields of digital twins um, as an academic. Um, I was a researcher at Imperial College London um, with some exciting brief spells in Stanford and uh, even working at NASA um, on the new Mars rocket. Um, and then halfway through my little Mars rocket mission in Virginia, um, I got some commercial interest in the codes that I was developing and so decided, you know what, being an entrepreneur is even more fun than being an academic. And so I switched lane from academia to entrepreneurship and I've been running Monolith as CEO um, since 2016 now. So perhaps you can start by telling us what a digital twin is. Ah, um, <laughs> that is that is the biggest question, right? With um, all of these big buzzwords like artificial intelligence or digital twin, they're obviously used by everyone in any sort of context. So it is actually one of the things that is very hard to narrow down. But I think there are a couple of ingredients that have to be part of any definition of digital twin. Otherwise, you're essentially just talking about any model ever. And it might as well be a word document because, you know, technically that's a model too. <laughs> um, and so for me, a digital twin has to be a virtual representation of a real physically existing object. No point calling it a twin if there isn't, you know, a twin. Um, and this model or this virtual representation should span this physical assets life cycle somehow. So I'm trying to see how this evolves over time and what's happening. Um, and I can do that in different ways. I can figure this out by looking at real time data that I get off the system, or I can figure this out by using physical simulations, models, like in computer games. And then I can use this system to make decisions, optimize performance, and figure out what's going on. Is it any easier to say what is not a digital twin? Um, <laughs> um, yes and no. So I think for me, it's just important when we're having this discussion to sort of apply this sort of these three things, like we have a real physical asset, we have a data set of it, and we're trying to use it for decision making. And so essentially, that just means there are a couple of things that you can exclude from the discussion, just to make sure, you know, it's not just any model based engineering. Um, and it's also not just any statistical data analysis. Yes, you know, you get data off it and yes, you get models off it. But if we're talking about any model or any data, then it becomes a very broad field and it's impossible to narrow down what we're actually talking about. So what sorts of things have you made digital twins of so far and how far can you take this concept? 
Cool. I mean, like we've obviously um, most technologies, right, like in the simulation space start in defense and in aerospace, um, right, like being sort of spearheaded and pioneered by government grants and so on and so forth. It's also common knowledge that like new defense aircraft obviously are very expensive to build. And so they're very um, ready to invest in technologies that bring the cost of testing and development down. Um, so at Monolith, we've worked with, I mean, we obviously started with NASA in 2016. Um, we've worked on um, Rolls-Royce aircraft engines and trying to figure out how their life cycle time works. We've worked on McLaren cars um, in racing. So um, some of the more unusual ones, I'd say, right? Like you'd expect, um, you know, a wind turbine or an aircraft engine, expensive, large equipment, we're trying to figure out how long it survives to be on the list. Um, I think what makes Monolith a little bit unique is that we're taking the concept from very big and very complex products and bringing it down to much simpler and much smaller issues. So we, for example, build digital twins of objects as simple as a soap dispenser um, or even um, yogurt pots occasionally, because one of the sort of interesting things is, right, like once you start democratizing this technology, um, and bringing down the boundaries, you can apply to much less complicated um, objects. And I think this is one of the fun parts. Wow, from huge aircraft to small yogurt pots, that's a huge range of applications. Fantastic. So what does it take to build and use a digital twin? Is it a huge time consuming exercise? I think most people would probably answer this answer this question like with with uh, like what I would sort of say yes to that. Um, um, trying to sort of build digital twins, if you sort of look especially at the sort of historically, like if the examples that I mentioned being an aircraft engine usually needs a huge amount of expertise, um, it's fairly complex, big project software development, where I'm trying to connect very complex hardware into fairly modern um, and cloud software. And then I also need pretty fast, pretty accurate, well-validated real-time models. And this combination of expertise and complex software and really fast models has usually meant that these things become huge projects with big software development teams um, and a, lot, yeah, a large amount of sort of engineering experts behind the wheel to actually pull this off. And they can take many years. Cool. Um, so what's... Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I was just going to say that, I mean, like, from one of the things that I think have currently changed is with, in particular, since the, you know, coronavirus um, pandemic began, is lots of large engineering companies have put their stacks and their data and their product development information into the cloud. And there's obviously a huge boost of, um, it's a huge trend currently in the venture capital world, right? Like if you've invested in no code software, um, then you probably saw a huge event and like huge returns from building websites, which, you know, five years ago was almost impossible. If you couldn't program Java or JavaScript now, it's actually quite straightforward with Wix and other solutions being worth a lot. And we see the same trend in digital twins that coding free or no code software, as well with much easier accessible machine learning tools and data analytics tools are bringing down the adoption barriers. And so toolkits like Monolith are literally designed to make it much easier and less expensive for engineering companies to build digital twins of their products. So what sort of benefits can a digital twin provide? And can you give me some real life examples? Hmm. I mean, I think the most obvious one is if you put a wind turbine in the North Sea 
um, and you are basically building a digital twin, then <laughs> I mean, like the sort of classic example is you can sort of put on your VR goggles in your living room and you can see whether it's working all right without being there. So there's the classic, I don't need to be there physically and um, see this kind of thing to see what's going on. The wind turbine example is obviously quite extreme, um, but the same thing applies in manufacturing halls when you produce um 10 million wheels per month for each of those different products you want to know how well was it manufactured um did it have any imperfections um was the oven set to the right temperature you know like how long is it going to last so there's if you look at the life cycle right like there's the development phase there's the manufacturing phase there's what happens to your wheel once it's actually out there and the sort of benefits that people are after and generally just knowing how well this product is doing um, extending its lifetime, optimizing its performance for whoever is using it, whether it's a wheel or wind turbine. And then last but not least, getting the information on what I've learned back into the product development process. So the next generation of wheels, you know, if it broke in a specific place after five years, I can fix that and redesign it so it's not going to happen again. So I'm assuming it's all about saving time and money. It generally is in engineering, right? <laughs> The time to market is obviously the most critical thing. And we see digital twins go and um, the adoption rate of those technologies, as I said in the beginning, is usually right like pretty high in industries where the cost of product development is very, very high, like aerospace. But I can currently say that I think industries where the industrial pressure and the competitive in the industry is particularly high can are overtaking them. Aerospace is a little bit slowing down at the moment, also hit by the coronavirus pandemic. Automotive industry, on the other hand, at the moment, with a huge competition they're facing and the whole electrification, are basically trying to find any new ideas and embrace any new ideas to sort of reduce the time to market and literally have to because they're at the moment two or three years too slow. So the sort of time to get it out there in almost any industry that is currently plagued by competition or disruption through energy transformation is you know one of the key drivers there must be other products like yours in the market what makes yours different or better good question um i think right like it usually depends on right like you know the niche that monolith inhabits um where we sort of feel like we are the best solution that you should go to is when you are looking to build a product um, and a digital twin for a you know, smaller scale repetitive product. So we are basically targeting as our main customer base companies who do not have the resources to sort of hire a huge team. We are, yeah, a software team is building democratizing software. So if you are building a yogurt pot or you're building wheels and you're not interested in a three year long, $2 million, you know, big expensive project, where you obviously then own all of the sort of IP and expertise of how to build this. But if you, you know, not interested in doing that, this is part of your strategy, but you're mainly interested in getting the benefits at a much lower price point and, you know, working with your existing experts to just, you know, get them going. Then this sort of smaller market niche of, you know, wheel manufacturing, product manufacturing is where we are currently pretty strong and quite unique in the marketplace. My final question, Richard, and it's a bit of an off-the-wall question. If you could develop any digital twin at all, what would it do? And for me, I'd like you to develop a digital twin of the Mercedes F1 car 
So I can then give it to all the other F1 teams. They can take it apart and find out what makes them so much quicker than anyone else. <laughs> um, I think um, that would be a f super funny idea. <laughs> um, actually, I think so. So my favorite digital twins are also in the motorsports world. Um, and one of our sort of main sponsors and partnership deals is actually with one of the endurance teams, um, Jota Sport. And they are currently my favorite customer because they've essentially made one of my childhood dreams come true. <laughs> I've always wanted, if you have watched the Marvel movies with Iron Man, who has this super intelligent assistant that helps him to optimize the product, to come up with this AI assistant that helps you to do something. And the Jota team, being quite innovative, actually use Monolith as an AI tool that makes recommendations to the drivers directly. So it essentially brought, as I say, my childhood dream to life of having the first AI assistant to directly tell people how to drive. Um, and I think from there onwards, it's only a small step from race car AI to, you know, the company is called Monolith for a reason. <laughs> there is an AI assistant in the movie Monolith, right, like that takes humans to Mars. And I was always saying, you know, one of the sort of random company dreams is if Elon Musk gets the Mars rocket <laughs> going at some point, the AI assistant on a board should be Monolith. Uh, that's, I, you've never explained that to me before, so I'm now feeling even more knowledgeable than I was before we started this conversation. Well, Richard, <laughs> thank you for being my guest today and for telling us about the art of the possible as it relates to digital twins. Uh, that's it for now. Do look out for our next episode of Cluster Innovation Podcast. This is your host, Robert Baldock, wishing you a safe but hopefully innovative day. <laughs>